Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. When you get the chance to talk to Tom Holland, I mean, this is someone who's played Spider-Man, which in our current world, playing Spider-Man is about as famous as you can get. You realize that he's had to do a lot of work on what it means to be this public, how to have your own life when you can't walk down the street without someone taking a picture of you. Tom has a lot to say about how to navigate fame, about his new show, which is kind of all about mental health, and why he thinks it might be time for him to take a break from acting. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. There's something Tom Holland said in our conversation that's still sticking with me because it just caught me off guard. He said that the secret to not letting success and fame mess with your head is knowing who you are. And I guess like that might be true if you're a really famous, I don't know, like local actor in your small town or or I don't know, like you're 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 famous amongst like your friends or your peer group. But when you're Tom Holland, when you have been acting since you were 11 years old, when you were Billy Elliot at 11 years old in the West End of London, when you've been Spider-Man when you were 19, like the biggest Marvel thing in the entire world, how do you not let it get to your head when you can't walk down the street without being photographed? Well, Tom's going to talk a little bit about that. And I think one of the ways that he's been able to navigate it is taking on work that's been meaningful to him. He has this new show on Apple TV. It's called The Crowded Room. It's about a guy named Danny Sullivan who was arrested following his involvement in a shooting in New York City in 1979. It's a psychological thriller. It's a very dark film. It's very, I would say, it's, it's very not superhero-y. It's a story about mental health and the ways we process trauma. Tom Holland stars in the series. He also executive produced it. So this is a conversation, yeah, about the show, about fame, and about where he is in his life. Here's my conversation with Tom Holland. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Tom. Thank you for such a wonderful intro. We're out of time, though. That's it. I know. Brilliant. That's all <laughs> I came to say, really. I'm going to just, you know, dip out of here, but thank you. Um, my understanding of this series is that you agreed to star in it and be uh, involved in the executive production of it. Without having to, without having read a script. Yeah, that's true. I I came into the development part of the show long before there were scripts. I met with Akiva Goldsman, our showrunner and writer, and you know he had this book that was uh, the Many Minds of Billy Milligan that I read, and it completely blew me away. I didn't know that humans were capable of that kind of survival, um, and. I fell in love with the idea of playing the character. We we started developing the scripts. It was originally a piece of, it was originally going to be a true story. We decided to pivot to a piece of fiction to kind of allow ourselves to have some creative freedoms. Nothing frustrates me more than like based on a true story and it is completely different. So we decided to really just commit to a piece of fiction and uh, I learned a lot from it. What was compelling to you about the original book when you, when you read it? I think... 
without again giving too yeah. much away. Tom, this is hard, man. Like yeah, this, this is, is really tough. This and... is much harder than talking about a Marvel show. Everyone talks about the Marvel spoilers. Those are easy to keep a secret because they'll kill you if you spill the well, But aren't you like the guy who does that? Aren't you the guy That's who... That's nonsense. That is absolutely <laughs> nonsense. I, every time someone brings that up in an interview, I said, next time you interview, next, next year when I have my next thing coming out, I want you to... I want you to bring together all of the evidence of me spoiling. Listen, stuff. I don't have any. I don't have any evidence. Here's what I was told. Oh, you're 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 talking. You're talking to him about the show. It has a lot of spoilers in it. That's pretty rich. The guy loves to spoil his films. And I said, I don't really know what I don't know what you're talking about. It's but, crazy. Man, I mean, the only time I've actually ever spoiled anything was when I revealed the poster for the avengers movie but that was a stunt we designed that to be that way and in doing that i kind of solidified myself as this person who ruins films um which is a great feeling when you're an actor to be known as the person that ruins films <laughs> it's like you're um, a wrestler and people thinking you're hitting people with steel chairs in real life or something like that yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly um what was i saying yeah that i guess the book just for me served as a pretty remarkable education as a young kid who's been working since I was 11, my education is somewhat non-existent. Um, what do you mean? Or traditional education is in, in such going to school and stuff like that. I was always working and I had other things to do. So I didn't really do much schooling. So for me to sit down with someone like Akiva Goldsman and speak to him about the human mind and psychology and the powers of what we can do to survive was an amazing experience. Tell me about your character. My character is Danny Sullivan. He is a very complicated person with volatile tendencies, let's say. He has the highs and the lows, and they're both on either end of the spectrum. Um, he finds himself caught up in an incredibly complicated criminal case. He is accused of committing a mass shooting at the Rockefeller Center in New York in 1979. And it is about his road to redemption, his road to, to acceptance. Um, he meets Raya Goodwin, played by Amanda Seyfried, along the way. And it's about this blossoming relationship. It's about acceptance. It's about uh, being brave enough to ask for help. And uh, and my character is kind of the, the journeyman that carries the story. How are they treating you? It's like everybody else, I guess. What happened to Yitzhak, your landlord? I don't know. Well, if you can't tell me where they are now, can you tell me how you ended up living with them in that house? It was a rooming house. I was rooming there. Danny, I'm trying to help you. I'm going to let you know that this interview is going to air after episode five comes out. So we can talk a little bit about mental health. We can't talk about the full twist, okay. but we can talk a little bit about mental health. Fantastic. And uh, that's what I kind of wanted to talk about with you, because there's a, a range of emotions from your character here. So he's bullied. He's abused. We watch his mental health unravel throughout the series. And... I've heard you talk a little bit about the difficulty of playing a character like this. Talk to me a little bit about that. I guess it's just putting yourself in the shoes of someone who is suffering from the results of childhood trauma and, and feeling those those feelings on a daily basis. And, you know, I'd be naive to say that I understand what it is he's been through. Um, but I feel his pain and I've and I've you know, I feel the hardships. And and it's taxing. It's a, it's you know waking up every day, going to work, and having to cry for six hours every day is a really taxing thing to do. And you're telling me that in the past or in other roles, and I, this is something I've heard from a lot of you know in particular British actors. There's a there's a a, a pride in being able to show up, do your work, and go to the pub or go to a restaurant afterwards and not have it affect you. 
But this particular role was so taxing and so emotional to you that you, you struggled a little bit doing that after when the day was done. Yeah, I mean, there were times where I was struggling. I mean, that said, the show, the content of the show was incredibly difficult, but the show itself was also incredibly difficult. You know, shooting in New York, shooting it period is really complicated. I had this crazy haircut that, you know, was legit and it was my choice. The studio didn't want me to cut my hair like that. And I decided to do it anyway because I thought it serviced the character in the best way possible. And I just, yeah, it was tough to let go of him in the evening. You know, I'd be in the shower looking at myself like, geez, you really look like this kid. This is this is really intense. So it was it was tough. But, you know, I got through it. I'm yeah. fine. I'm feeling good and super proud of the show and excited to get it out there. Listen, this isn't a welfare check. I'm not about to come take you. But I, but I have <laughs> I have heard I have heard some people say something like you just said to me before that when you undergo a physical transformation of what you normally look like to play a character, especially if mm-hmm. that character is dealing with any sort of trauma at all, because when you look in the mirror you don't see yourself, you sure. only see that character. It's it's harder to take that person off at the end of the day. I understand that. A hundred percent. And, you know, I lost a lot of weight. I had this crazy haircut. I was gaunt. I was tired. I was emotionally drained. And I'd look in the mirror and I wouldn't see the person that I would see today. You know, so it was tough. It was a, it was a it was a it was a really tough one. This one. I heard I read something on the way in, but I wanted to ask you about it because you never know what these things that it, it yeah. led to you taking a year off of acting. Not really. No. Um, again, that's online nonsense really i was always going to take a year off at a point in time i had some really exciting projects on the horizon so i was kind of on the fence and then just after the show i decided that i owed it to myself to just go home and enjoy some time with my friends and my family and move into my new house and and finally call somewhere home you know since i was 16 i've been on the road living from hotel to hotel out of suitcase to suitcase so i just really needed some time to kind of get my life in order and organize my taxes and figure out how to pay my water bill and and all that sort of stuff. I just needed some time at home. So my break wasn't really a result of the show. It definitely contributed towards it, but it was always going to happen. We'll be right back. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. You mentioned you were acting since you were how old? I think I've been acting professionally since I was 11. Was that Billy Elliot? Yes, correct. Yeah. What do you remember from that? Really fond memories, amazing people, hard work. I look back on it now and I'm amazed at how hard it was. What do you mean? Like rehearsals and... and, and... We'd be training for six hours a day and then you'd go to the theater, you'd do a three-hour show, probably the most intense show that on the West End. I don't think there's an adult doing a show that's more difficult than playing Billy. And I think probably the majority of people performing on Broadway on the West End would would agree with me. But I loved it. I'm suddenly 
young flying, flying like a bird, like electricity, electricity, sparks inside of me, and I'm free, I'm free. Being on stage, performing in front of that many people, being good at it, and like feeling like you were accomplishing something, uh, was an amazing feeling and to share that with a young group of people that I really admired that you know we're all in the same boat we're all young kids performing on the west end it was a dream come true and also an amazing platform for me to to base my career off of I learned so much about working hard and work ethic and and respect and professionalism from working on that show so I owe a lot to the people that were involved I have a friend of mine who was a mandolin prodigy um, okay. And I asked him, and I, I said, "What's it like to be? Well, what was it like to be this like child prodigy of the mandolin?" What's a mandolin? What is that? You know, like it's like a little fiddle looking like it's like a little tiny guitar. Uh, it's like a, like a ukulele type thing, kind of like that, but it's strung like a violin. There'd be one in like the Mumford and Sons or the Lumineers and those kind of bands, it's like a little okay. tiny guitar about that big. It has eight strings and they're and they're doubled, and it's in bluegrass music and it's played a lot in Irish music. Okay, great. And um, a friend of mine is a, he was a child prodigy on the mandolin. And I asked him what it was like. And he said, the, the, the hardest thing about it was when I looked back on it a little bit, I was so pleased. I was so happy to get to tour and play festivals all over the world and learn the benefits of hard work. And he's a, quite a successful musician now. And he says, you know, I, I, it's all because of that. And he said, However, there were moments where I wanted to play football, but I couldn't because I had to watch out for my hands. There were, there were moments where I wanted to go to a school dance, but I couldn't because I had a gig. And I guess when you just told me that story about Billy Yell, but I, actually, I also just thought about what you told me at the beginning, which is that, you know, I never got to go to school. I never got to have these more traditional things. Did, did you feel at all? I mean, you don't have to tell me, but did you feel at all like you were missing out on a more traditional childhood? Not really. Yeah. I wouldn't have traded my experiences for anything. And and the secret is you might be under contract and you're not allowed to go snowboarding. Guess what? I go snowboarding all the time. They just don't know about it. So like it's like who I don't care. Like I'm gonna live my life. I'm gonna enjoy myself. I'm confident that I'm not gonna break my leg. Is that real? Time. Is that a real thing? They'll do that to you? Is that real? Dude, the contracts you have to sign when you get into these Marvel things and they don't want you doing certain things, it's intense. And there's been a few times. It's been a few times I've gone into trouble. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, not from spoiling movies, but okay. So, not so from spoiling movies, yeah, yeah. but nearly from spoiling movies by breaking your leg. And <laughs> right, right. But but you you didn't feel like you were missing out on on it was you you know. No, I think I've had a wonderful upbringing from my two parents, who I think you know are superhero parents. They're amazing. I aspire to be like my dad one day. He really is like the greatest dad. I have a great collection of friends from when I was a kid before school. During school, during Billy, after Billy, now in my early 20s, I met a great group of guys who we've built this wonderful group of golf friends that we play with every week. Um, all normal people who the, most of them are carpenters. I met them because they build film sets and, you know, they're great people. They're, they're salt of the earth and I love them all to bits. Um so I have had such a charmed life surrounded by such wonderful people doing such amazing things and 
I wouldn't have changed anything, any of it for the world. And if I wanted to play football when I was a kid and I was doing Billy Elliot, you best believe I was playing football and I just wouldn't tell anyone about it. I'm glad to hear it. You know, I think that fame, especially at a young age, can be unmooring. And there are no shortage of stories of people who didn't make it out as successful or when I say successful, happy and well adjusted as, as you did. Oh, that's very kind of you, mate. I appreciate but that. You know what I mean, right? I know exactly what you mean. And I have plenty of friends who I've come up with who, you know, have changed and their lives are different and we have different outlooks on the way you should be behaving in certain ways. I think the biggest thing for me is that I never chased this life. I never wanted to be famous. I never wanted to be an actor. I just was a young kid who loved dancing and Billy Elliot kind of happened. And then after Billy Elliot, I got an agent. Again, I didn't look for an agent. She found me. She sent me to an audition. I didn't ask her to. She just found one. I went to it. I got the job. It was shooting in Thailand for five months. You know, who in their right mind is going to say no? I thought it'd be really fun. I ended up working with Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor and Juan Antonio Bayona. And it opened up this world to me. And even then, it was a hobby. It was something I was doing for fun. It was like a summer school. My brothers came. My mum and dad came. We had this unbelievable time away. And I just never stopped doing it. I just was lucky that I was getting jobs. And... I was lucky that I was enjoying it. I was lucky that I was meeting people that were good role models for me. And there came a time where I, I reckon I was probably 16 or 17. I had to look myself in the mirror and be like, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I was like, I guess I'll just keep doing this acting thing because it's great. I love it. I love the traveling. I love the people. I love the storytelling. I love the creativity. So it, it was never something I really decided to do. It's just something I've always done. And I think that probably plays a difference into my relationship with fame and and the, the the good things that come with it and the bad things that come with it, obviously. You, you didn't have this childhood hunger with some, you know, parent standing over your shoulder saying, you're going to be a star, kid, and you're going to, you know, and, and, and all I ever wanted to do was be this, you know, it was a job, it was fun, it was exciting, I was good at it, um, I felt like it, it brought meaning to the world around me, and yeah. that, that protected me from some of the ambition-based stresses. It was, it, 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 in layman's terms... It was a hobby. It was it was it was something I did as a kid because my mom thought it what a great thing for him to do during the summer. And then it became a career. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. You're flying out into the darkness to fight ghosts. What do you mean? They all die. Fighting Spider-Man. It's their fate. I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, me too. Listen, I'm I'm cautious about talking about this stuff because I know you probably <laughs> you're doing a, a a show which is brilliant and about like mental health and about crime and a bunch of stuff I can't I can't talk about. And I'm not here to go like so. You have a show about uh, crime and, and mental health. Who's your favorite well, Spider-Man? Like I'm not going to do that. But right. I, I just want to acknowledge that the kind of fame that comes with Spider-Man and the kind of fame that comes with sure. Marvel, that's on, a, that's on a whole other... You know what I mean? Like, isn't that on a whole other level? It's another level. And it's one of those things where your life literally changes before your eyes. Yeah? People change the way they look at you. People change the way they treat you. They change the way, you know, they, they act around you. And what's also interesting is there's levels to this. And after the first film came out, I remember thinking to myself, I was, I don't know, 20. 
I was like, wow, I'm famous now. This is it. This is what being famous is. And then the second film came out and I was like, oh, wow, I'm like even more famous now. I didn't realize there was another gear. Yeah. And that was it for me. I was like, wow, this is this is it now. I get followed everywhere I go. There's paparazzi that sit outside my house. I can't have a relationship with someone without it being front page news. And then the third film came out and it kicked up to another level that has now been life changing. And also, in you know, I've met some amazing people along the way that have helped me who have all been through this. And there's a wonderful network of young people who are going through this at the same time. And we all have this crazy bond because of it's weird, like walking into a restaurant and everyone knowing who you is, who you are is a really weird feeling. Yeah. It's a really bizarre feeling, but I love my job. Yeah. I love what it does. I love what I'm allowed to do and the things I can do for my charity. And I got you. All the stuff. So I'm not in any way, shape or form complaining. No. I, and you, and you wouldn't, you'd be, you'd be, wrong to you and gratitude is assumed here yeah great but, as long as that's coming across <laughs> yeah but what is the what's the secret to it not getting to you what's the secret like i'm i'm not going to ask you have a very private important sure. text group and, and friend group and i'm happy about that thank you but you're welcome <laughs> but um what 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 is the secret i think the secret is knowing who you are and staying true to yourself and not believing what you read about yourself online, because more often than not, it's not true. I One of the most, I think it was Christian Bale that said this. It really stuck with me. Um, and he basically said, if you have a problem with me, text me. And if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. And for me, that's been really informative because it has meant that I really, really care about the opinions of people that know me for me. There have been times in the last five years where friends have been like, bro, you need to like chill for a second. You're, you're getting a little bit lost. And those are the moments that are really informative. If a newspaper writes that about me, I'm like, well, you don't know who I am. Yeah. So I don't really worry about your opinion. Um, so I just try and stay true to myself. I keep my friends really close. And I'm delighted to say that none of them are afraid of being honest. If they don't like my work, they'll tell me. If they love my work, they'll tell me. Um, and I'm just really lucky that I have a great network of people that aren't going to lose me to this crazy world. That's a beautiful thing. I appreciate you talking to me about that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking. It's really, it's nice to, to speak about it, I guess. Let me, let me close off this way. Uh, I want to go back to the show. Thank There's you. something that um, uh, Amanda's character says in the show. She says, um, something about Danny just stays with me. After everything we just talked about, especially at the beginning of the conversation, is there something that has, that playing Danny, is there something about playing Danny that has stayed with you? I think the most eye-opening experience about playing Danny and being a part of this show is that I reached what I thought were my limits and I went as far as I thought I could go without breaking and I realized I have a lot more in the tank and I feel like I became aware of things that I can handle and, and hardships I can take in my stride and to deal with things in a professional way, not an emotional way. And I just feel like I grew up a lot on this job. I think, you know, I, I've always been really, really young for my years. When I was a kid at school and playing rugby, like I really should have been three years below I was. Um, and I just think from playing this character and diving into this role and working on this show, 
I just learned about, I learned a lot about how capable I am of dealing with certain things. And I'm really grateful for those lessons. Um, and ultimately, I'm really proud of the show and I can't wait for people to see it. It sounds like, yeah, you proved something to yourself. That's a beautiful thing. Man. I really did. Thank you. Yeah, I really did. I proved to myself that I can do it and I'm going to do it again. Hey, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Tom. I, I really enjoyed chatting. Thanks very much. Tom Holland was my guest and I enjoyed chatting to him too. He stars in The Crowded Room. You can watch it on Apple TV Plus now. All right, that's it for this episode of Q. Uh, the other episode we have uploaded today is a, is a really interesting one. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Johnny Reed. I can tell you how big Johnny Reed is just by like what was behind him when I was talking to him over Zoom. So he gets he gets on over Zoom. He's in his home in Nashville. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. And there's, uh, I want to say like that there must have been like 11 Juno Awards behind him and like 40 country music awards like just tons and tons of tons of awards and this is a guy who has kind of really done incredibly well especially in canadian country music and he's trying something new which is such a brave thing to do at this stage of his career when he's already had all the success and he has such like an established thing around him but it's such a beautiful thing his new musical a friend of mine is playing bagpipes in it and he can't stop talking about how good it is it's called maggie and it's the story of johnny reed's grandmother and he realizes that his own grandmother's story of being sort of left behind in Scotland and everyone leaving her is so universal for anyone who's had to leave home or anyone who's ever been left. So go check that out. That's wherever you got this podcast in your podcast feed. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.